Well, hello there, listeners. It's Susie New here, President of the Australian Society of Anaesthetists, and welcome to our podcast. It's called Australian Anaesthesia, and it's where we chat all things relevant to anaesthesia in Australia. In this episode, I am chatting with Pirani Buttery, who some of you may know as Pirani Wongprasatsuk, and she is a paediatric anaesthetist here in Victoria. We are chatting about a brief presentation that I gave at the SPANZA meeting last year. Now, SPANZA stands for the Society for Paediatric Anesthesia in New Zealand and Australia. What I was talking about was the Victorian Paediatric Anesthesia Network. Is paediatrics or paediatric anesthesia a subspecialty of anesthesia? Or, as one person said to me once, Paediatrics is not a subspecialty, it's a population. So, do you provide subspecialty care or do you provide care for a population? That's some of the background to why we formed this network. And what you'll find out in this episode is it was very much still in its infancy, no pun intended there, when COVID came at the start of 2020. And although we're talking about the Victorian network, This discussion is by no means limited to Victoria. I'm sure these issues are relevant across Australia. So please do continue listening if you're from outside of Victoria, because I hope some of this interest may continue forwards and we may be able to develop similar networks in your area. If you want to get involved, it's not too late. I'll be sharing details of how you can do that at the end of the episode. Okay, let's get into it. Thank you. Thanks for giving up some time today to chat about our Victorian Paediatric Anesthetic Network. I thought this one would be a little bit different in that I'm going to ask you questions and you're going to ask me some questions as well. Thanks for inviting me, Susie, to have this conversation because I think it's certainly needed. I've been more recently intrigued and at other times alarmed and at times very curious about the provision of paediatric anaesthesia services in spaces other than the metropolitan space, which is where I normally practice. I've spent the last few years in a rural space and been amazed at the provision of paediatric care by many providers. But also, I've come to understand that there are some very significant gaps as well and some very, very interested providers in seeking support to shore up those gaps so that children and their families can have access to reasonable and high-quality healthcare, including anaesthesia care, near to where they live or as close to where they live as reasonable and practical and possible. Cognizant of this, I'm very aware of the Victorian Surgical Services Capability Framework, which has been written and is currently rolled out. And that was certainly one of my roles in the rural space, to work out what is reasonable within practitioners' scope of practice, but also within different health services capability. And it became very clear that health service capability can sometimes be much lower than individual clinician scope of practice. So clinicians really had to think about contracting or reducing their scope of practice depending on where they were practicing as well. It's an evolving space actually and certainly there's a lot of interest in a paediatric network. And Susie, you you were really quite interested in developing this and I was just wondering, you mentioned it at Spanza and I'm really curious about how this network began and, and what your thoughts about where it might go. Yeah, I did present it at the Spanza 2020 meeting 
I was asked to give an update on the Victorian Paediatric Anaesthetic Networks. So I heard about the Paediatric Networks first in August 2018. I do not claim any ownership of the idea at all in terms of forming it. It was actually something that I'd heard about the New Zealand Society supporting. So over in New Zealand, they have a number of different networks. They have one for paediatric anesthesia, one for obstetric anesthesia. They have the airway lead network and they have a well-being network. And I think that New Zealand's divided up into 22 what they call DHBs, which are district health boards. And there's usually a public hospital in each of those DHBs. So the way that they formed their network was that they have a representative from each of the DHBs who was then asked to participate in the network. So that's one way that I suppose New Zealand is different to Australia in the way that our health service is divided. And as you know, in Victoria, we have a very devolved health system. We have 88 health services, a big mix of public and private. And there's more surgeries performed in private hospitals in Australia than there are in public. And that's certainly not the case in New Zealand. I think private work makes up very much the minority of surgeries provided. So there's some key structural differences. And I think the reason the paediatric network was formed and I think if there's any New Zealand listeners out there who want to correct me, I I think there was a case of a child who was anaesthetised in a regional setting who then needed to be transferred for further care in a larger metro hospital and a specialist paediatric centre. I'm deliberately not focusing too much on the clinical details there. But the patient got transferred and there was a real feel the referring paediatric anaesthetist really wished that they had a way of communicating with someone in the receiving hospital to give some of the more nuanced information. That, I think, is one of the drivers behind it. What I also learned from the New Zealand Society is they hosted these networks on their website and they gave them a secure space where they could share documents, share protocols. I think they've recently started looking into a secure chat facility. And when I heard about that, I thought, this is great. This is also something that we need. I went back, I wrote a proposal to the ASA Council at the time. When I did that, what I found out is actually the ASA was undergoing a website redevelopment and that function was already built into the new website, but it just hadn't been implemented yet. So I thought, this is great. The infrastructure was already there. We just needed a purpose, a way to trial, a secure online chat facility. So it's like a secure Facebook for doctors who have access. So yeah, that all came out, as I said, mid-2018. So during 2019, there were discussions. I think I mentioned it to a few people around town whether there would be enough interest for this. There was a thought that we should just set up as a bit of a pilot in Victoria just to see how it goes, first of all. As you know, I work in a mixed adult paediatric metropolitan hospital and there's always challenges with that, with providing good quality of care for paediatric patients in a mixed facility uh, where, where predominantly you're geared towards caring for adults. And there were some questions that arose about equipment, credentialing and so forth. And we were routinely asking our colleagues at other similar hospitals and also at tertiary paediatric hospitals. And we thought some of the things that we're learning, maybe other people are asking those questions and other people might want to learn too and contribute to that discussion and we can all potentially learn from each other. And it was shaping in a way to be more and more like how the networks were functioning in New Zealand. So very much with the assistance of Matt Blair, who's one of my colleagues at the hospital where I work, uh, we got the ball rolling. He did a lot of work in terms of contacting other paediatric anaesthetists around town to say, would you be interested? And unlike in New Zealand where it's been, you know, one representative from each DHB, 
we thought to keep it open because there is really, as you would know, there is no really strict definition of what is a paediatric anaesthetist. So we wanted it to be inclusive of people who anaesthetize children, be it in public, be it in private, be it in metropolitan settings, be it in regional or rural settings, because these questions might be common to everybody. So it's had about a year of getting involvement, engagement with people. And we were due to have our first face-to-face meeting in February 2020, but we all know what happened in February 2020. And so we had to cancel that first ever face-to-face meeting. So what we did form was a WhatsApp group. Not everybody is on the WhatsApp group. Um, What we did also form is a special site on the ASA forum website, which is that secure chat facility. And what we did also try to involve is at least one person from each of the tertiary hospitals and the major metropolitan hospitals, at least one, but was open to more if people wanted to join. The role was to share ideas, share resources, discuss issues, and it was open to anyone who anaesthetizes children. That's an excellent vision. I was just wondering, with this network, where do you see the relationships going? Do you see it being able to evolve relationships between practitioners? Because that's really the safety in, in feeling you're comfortable enough to reach out and talk to someone. One of the original aims in setting up the network and having the face-to-face meeting was to have people get to know each other so that you knew if you were asking a question and someone was giving you a reply, you already had that connection with that person. I think at the moment it's more a loose collection of people who have an interest in anaesthetizing children Mm. who want to be able to have a network of other brains. You know, it's the brain's trust. It's been a year and a bit now that it's been in existence. And I think people have been able to come forward and share ideas and ask questions of the group. Certainly during COVID, when I did the recap for the Spanza meeting in October last year, I went through and just looked at what things had been discussed. And people had asked to share protocols in PONV, their pediatric PCA protocols, recovery room analgesic protocols for children. People had also asked to share their pre-medication protocols. I recall a strong discussion about paediatric TIVA. Exactly. There were some other questions that came up. So people asked, is it safe to use cyclozine in children? Mm. Uh, Are people using tepentadol in children? How long are people waiting after a dose of paracoxib to restart anti-inflammatories? There was a big discussion on credentialing. There was various questions on equipment as well, what suction catheters people were using whether anyone had come across cuffed nasal tracheal tubes for children. Uh, And then during COVID, there was a lot of questions about COVID, uh, what people were doing for PPE, how people were managing parents in a child with an undifferentiated respiratory illness because the parent could be seen as being COVID positive but also COVID negative at the same time. So in one way, you have to protect the parent, but you also have to protect yourself from the parent. So that was some of the questions that arose, as I said, from about February till October last year. So I think there's been some really good discussions and some good engagement there with people feeling comfortable to come forward and ask those questions. I think we haven't yet set up governance for it. It's just a loose collection at this stage. And that's partly, I think, the purpose of this podcast is hopefully more people will hear about it. That's one thing. But then also we need to have a meeting and the interested people can sit down and nut it out. 
So do you think, Susie, the next step might be to do something virtually with this network as opposed to a face-to-face? That's a really, really good idea. Really good idea. So I'm going to take that away and that's maybe something we can work on. Yeah, that'd be great. I think people do still have concerns about putting information into WhatsApp. So I think having a secure forum where we can discuss face-to-face almost is probably a really good one. My um, GP anaesthetist colleagues who I've spoken about this with, they're quite interested because sometimes when they're faced with a very difficult situation or a case that might be emergent, and it is within their capability, but it is not something that they have necessarily dealt with recently, I think they'd really like I know, in fact, I know from discussions, they'd really like to be able to have a forum where they can speak to someone with a strong paediatric background. I understand that many have their own networks, but some would also like to have some input from specialist anaesthetists and in particular paediatric anaesthetists as well. That's a really interesting point because I was having as a separate discussion that you would not have been aware of a similar discussion uh, with a GP anaesthetist about forming another similar network, a two-way network actually, because there are specialist anaesthetists who go out into rural and regional settings and do a locum and they will be presented with cases that might be challenging. And there's often that question of, you know, yes, if I'm sitting in a big tertiary hospital in the middle of a big city, I wouldn't think twice about doing this patient on this particular day. But given I'm not, I'm not sure if it's safe for me to go ahead with this. So we thought about the value of having a network that, again, could support anaesthetists going into that role, but also to support GP anaesthetists who, again, having those cases and think, okay, I think I know what I would like to do, but I would just like to run this by a specialist anaesthetist and just get a second opinion. So we we thought about that, not specifically for the paediatric patient. I think we've all seen the value of social media. And we've also seen that there are, can be some issues with social media. And I think we're trying to harness the benefits of it in terms of forming a community, forming networks, uh, without encouraging any of the issues with it. Just to add to that conversation, when I went to work in that rural space, I really learned to value the input from highly experienced GP anaesthetists who knew their patient population very, very well. And some would say, just don't even go there with this patient. We know what they're like. We know that on paper, this is what they present. But we also know what their background history is because we are their GP and we would be advising X, Y and Z and not necessarily to do that patient at the facility when they get presented. There's a wealth of knowledge amongst very experienced GP anaesthetists that is well worth harnessing as well having that two-way conversation to understand the trickiness of the rural space, which is challenging and also fantastic to deal with. Absolutely. Everyone brings expertise to the table and trying to facilitate that communication, that is what I really took away with my discussions with the New Zealand Society, is building that community. We've got the online chat facility on the ASA website, the forum, and I thought this is hopefully something that we can do to support anaesthetists around the country. So perhaps the next virtual meeting could support the use of the ASA forum if we can make it easier and get people used to it. 
Yeah, I think it's the issue of making it secure enough to be able to discuss patient information, but then trying to make it easy to use. So we are reviewing it at the moment. There are a few different platforms around. Apparently, we do have one of the best platforms in terms of usability, whilst also it's got to be 100% secure. That's really good to know. I do like the Zoom meeting idea. That's a good one. Maybe you you can help me host one. Well, maybe I can. It's really also about offering the opportunity more regularly and perhaps even having a topic that engages at the beginning. So, yes, we could have a topic to discuss, something like credentialing. When that question was asked in the network, the answers that were shared were really interesting because these are systems questions. Correct. Very systems. This is what the network was formed for because systems questions, yes, take an understanding of the evidence, but we've got to apply it within our health system which is why, say, the network couldn't be formed like the New Zealand networks because they have a different structure to their health system. It is so devolved in Victoria and across Australia. There's a huge variety of practice and practice settings and you can't apply the same evidence across the whole health system because it requires a system solution. What about a systems topic? Mm, Exactly, like credentialing or paediatric sedation. Because I think that's something that many practitioners end up getting involved in. And what it often lands with is with the anaesthetist on duty, be it the GP anaesthetist or the specialist anaesthetist. It's often an issue that lands with them. And they're asked to make a call about sedation or about deep sedation for a small child. Now, if they are only an hour from a metropolitan centre, maybe that's a different risk management equation and the, the child can wait. But sometimes parents can't wait. If they're a rural parent, for example, and there's only one of them, and they've got to get up the next morning to bring the cows in, that's actually a really big issue to run the farm. And certainly that's what I've found in my paediatric space is that sometimes parents do, despite the risks, they do want it done nearby. So there's a mature conversation that perhaps practitioners need to have within the network and also to formulate their own ideas. I wonder what you think about that, Susie. Yeah, I agree 100%. Having worked in different settings across Australia, you can't just make one rule for the size hospital, for the size town that you're in. It really does depend how close you are to other facilities, what you've got in that hospital, and of course, the risk appetite of the patient and their family. I have really enjoyed the experience when I've worked in an anaesthetic department where they have taken the lead on paediatric sedation, for example and looked at supporting that, not always providing the service, but definitely supporting that in the rest of the hospital. It benefits in so many ways. It takes us out of the operating room. It it shows people our value. (laughs) And it's also a chance for education and upskilling both ways. You know, when I've had to do paediatric sedation in emergency departments or on burns wards, it's been a good way for me to talk about new medications. But I've also learned what's new in paediatric emergency medicine But I think it also gives you a confidence that your health service is providing paediatric services safely because you've had that oversight. Yeah, that's right. Here's a different take on it. And um, perhaps this reflects my more administrative role recently. When I was working closely with the hospital executive, it was really clear that they wanted some consistency from clinicians as well. And so having one voice or one brand of oversight gave consistency right the way through and meant people knew where they stood. As you say, we don't necessarily need to do the sedation, 
We certainly are very helpful in formulating the sedation and the parameters of safety for sedation, including the, the use of multiple medications that may end up with us in, in a greater depth of sedation or even general anaesthesia than was intended. And therefore, hospital administrations really like that breaking down of the silos between craft groups as well and that exchange of information, which helps make health services much safer when we're all focused on a really good patient outcome. Agreed. I think some of the favourite hospitals that I've worked in, the crit care services have all worked together. ICU, ED, anaesthesia have all had a really good collaborative approach and they realise there's going to be patients that all three services are involved in and it's usually the critically ill ones. Likewise with PEDS. You know, a bit different when you're working in a paediatric only hospital, but certainly in a mixed adult paediatric hospital. It is great when the PEDS unit is also involved and there's key people within paediatric ED, PED ICU or ICU that have a PED interest and anaesthesia with a PED interest. You know, I think we're onto something about when we're talking about the system issues. Mm-hmm. These are things that people may or may not be able to fix. We're not talking about resources because resources are what they are at different health services. But system issues, policy process, the way people interact with each other and interpret their local policy and process can sometimes really impair the delivery of care. And people spend more time arguing over what should have happened than actually actioning something positive for the patient or their family. So I wondered if we could even put out a call for system topics that might be interesting for people to think about And then maybe they might be curious about joining the conversation because it is about starting the conversations that are difficult to have. I suppose my interest in global health and when I did my MPH was this whole area is called health system strengthening. And I think, you know, for the person who thinks on or is involved at, say, an executive level, you know, they start seeing systems and see systems play out. I think also anaesthetists are also a bit lended to systems thinking because we have that. I work with one surgeon in a public hospital. I work five kilometres down the road with the same surgeon in a private hospital. It's a totally different experience for me and probably the patient too. So we can see that the role of systems. I do often think we're clinicians first. So I think we come in with a clinical question. What are you doing about paediatric sedation in your hospital? And people will talk about the doses of the drugs, but very, very quickly it goes to, well, I can do this dose of this drugs, but my pre-up hold is literally next door to recovery, which is next door to theatre, which is very different from my pre-med sedation is happening on the ward, which is three flights of stairs and two lifts away from my pre-op hold. And it's the context within which you practice that determines what you do. Exactly. And there's things you can learn from people from other contexts. You might not be able to apply them immediately, but there might be something in there that you just don't know because you haven't been in that context. You haven't seen it. And you come in with the clinical question and then it invariably takes a systems answer. I think we've got some real challenges in that rural space. People nowadays, now that they know me, I spend a lot of time fielding phone calls about sedation for transport, about procedural sedation in special needs children who need to be transported. And it's not something I advocate, but it is something that people want to talk about. So there's a whole lot of systems and access and equity of access issues that people ring me about, which are not necessarily things that I can fix. But certainly, I think people like to be able to find a friend to talk through some of the issues locally that they have. 
That sounds like a really good topic for our first meeting. Let's do that. Mm. Let's, let's decide that now. Okay. All right. <laughs> Live decision making. Executive decision. <laughs> we'll get the invites out to a broad group of people. I think this network has a huge potential to create a collaborative platform. What do you think? I hope so. I think it, like anything, it needs a champion to get it going. It had the wonderful Matt Blair driving it at the start. And it was, I thought, very encouraging that the ASA wanted to support it. Maybe you're our next champion, Prani. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a group of champions is, is the way to go across different areas of practice. So we're not leaving anyone behind, not leaving anyone out, but it doesn't get too large as well. It could be possible to have different, as you say, systems, because a lot of our discussion is about systems and bringing what there is of the evidence to bear so that we can deliver good quality healthcare where practical, where reasonable as close as possible to where the patient lives. And that means we're cognizant of the capabilities of the local workforce and what they bring to the table as well. So that's why I'm suggesting a number of different champions. There's no one path for something like this. It will be driven by the people who are involved and supported by the technology that's available at the time. So if it's a matter of getting as many people in the room to have a bit of a meet and greet, whether it be face-to-face or online, as you suggested earlier, some people will engage more naturally on the forum, some people will engage more naturally on email or on WhatsApp. And then at what stage do we rein it in and say, this is the one way or the two ways that we will communicate? Who knows? It's people that will drive this. And so people will also be the ones to shape it. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty exciting, though, that you're able to provide that platform And I'm really hoping that people will engage in it. Yeah, I hope so too. What do you think is a possible immediate next step? So say someone has listened to this podcast, say there's someone out there in Victoria who is, oh, I anaesthetise children. Oh, I think this is something I'd be interested in. What do you think they could do? What do you think we could do? Well, have we got an easy way of them joining? So in the past it was... They emailed me because we're giving them access to the ASA forum, only that limited particular group on the ASA forum, I should say, not the whole ASA forum. So an expression of interest? Yeah. ASA, I see, has a very good platform, particularly where children are anaesthetised in public and in private. I think people might want that sort of collaboration behind them. So the breadth of the ASA, given that it's mostly systems issues, it's a good thing to base it at the ASA. But I think it's a great concept, Susie. I, I really do. I think it's a well worthwhile concept flying and seeing where it goes because clinicians collaborating together. The end game is about good patient care mm. close to where they live with the most competent person that they need to have who is delivering that care. Agreed. I think that's been a really good thing that's come out of all the conversations. It is really people interested in providing good care, continuing to provide good care and constantly aiming higher. Are there any other questions or any other points? Is there anything you wanted me to ask you? We've covered a wide range of conversation. That has been really quite informative for me um, and I hope for you as well. Yeah, great ideas. I love ideas. So I've already got two out of this, which is why don't we have an online meeting? Oh my goodness, why have I never thought of that idea before? But also, how do we get people involved if they want to be involved? So how do we make that obvious? I'll think of something. I I love having conversations with people so I can understand where they're practicing. Well, speaking of which, I thank you for your time today. Lovely chatting with you as always. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. 
So I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode. I always enjoy chatting with Pirani. She is such a deep, deep thinker and we have wonderful conversations. So if you would like to get involved, there will be, as we decided live on that podcast, an event coming up. It will be for those in Victoria who anaesthetize children. So if you're interested in attending that event, then please do register your interest by sending an email to events at asa.org.au. That's events at asa.org.au. If you're not in Victoria and you think that this is something that you would like to get going in your jurisdiction, in your area, then again, please do drop us an email, events at asa.org.au, and we'll see if there's some other like-minded people We'll try and connect you together. At this stage, you do not have to be an ASA member. So you don't have to be an ASA member. You can register your interest. We will have a Victorian-based event soon and we will send you the details. If you're already an ASA member, then you can get access to the discussion on the forum. Again, just email events at asa.org.au and we will set you up with access to that group. It is a closed group. So even though you may be able to log onto the ASA forum, you won't necessarily see that in your feed. I will put a link to the forum in the show notes. Again, it's only accessible to ASA members. If you think you'd like to join the ASA, I think that's a great decision. I encourage you to do so. And I'll put a joining form in the episode notes as well. Otherwise, register your interest. I look forward to seeing you at the event. I look forward to also seeing if we get interest from people interstate and seeing if we can somehow hook you up together to form similar networks. And otherwise, stay safe out there. This podcast was produced by the Australian Society of Anesthetists. More podcasts can be found on the ASA website, asa.org.au. Music was La Toile Dance by Maidan, which can be found on the free music archive website. We hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>